Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. My guest today is the chair of Be The Business and the former chair of the John Lewis Partnership, Sir Charlie Mayfield. With a mission to maximize the potential of business, Charlie believes in mentorship and collaboration between scale-ups and big business to share the passion of the entrepreneur with the know-how of the corporations. From serving in the military to fighting on the front line for business, this is the story of a leader who believes business is the source of the solutions and the driving force behind a solid COVID recovery plan and economic bounce back. So Charlie, welcome to Changemakers. Great to have you on the show. Wonder if I can uh, kick you off, if you like, with, 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 I guess, the mission statement from Be The Business to make the UK home for the most ambitious firms in the world. Tell us about ambition and, and what it means to you. I guess for me, it's what I've always strived to do is have an impact on whatever I'm doing. And, and often when you're having an impact, it's about seeing a situation and then wanting to improve it in material ways and having an influence on those around you to help to make that happen. So I think that's that's really what it's about. In the context of be the business, it, it's very simple. I mean, the Paul Krugman said that, that productivity isn't everything, but in the long run, it is almost everything. Mm. And the productivity performance of the UK has been poor. That really matters. And one of the keys to making it better is to engage and support the many thousands of small and mid-sized businesses to help them to become, to realize the, the growth and the competitiveness that they're absolutely capable of. Mm. And, and so what we're trying to do with Be The Businesses is galvanize that really. And it strikes me that throughout your career that people and potential seem to be a bit of a theme. So whether it's joining the army, whether it's running John Lewis, whether it's you know, you'll you'll focus on on skills, be the business today. Tell us a little bit about potential, what it means to you in terms of the realizing it, the opportunity for people to, I guess, to be to be their best. Yeah. I mean, I think when you when you look back over anybody's career, you can impose an order on it. <laughs> it's <sort of laughs> it's a job a, of a good interview, isn't it? And a, <laughs> and a sort of progression that it doesn't quite reflect the sort of um, the felt reality of that. And, and look, I mean, I, I certainly didn't sort of set out in life with a sort of messianic view about what is what is what is it to sort of happens over the course of time. But I mean, beginning beginning in the army, I guess you know, I, I, I had a great time. I had five years of serving in the army and it was a fantastic experience and I think it did did it certainly leave a bit of a mark what a lot of people don't understand is that or they they, they miss their misinterpretation of the military environment is it's all about command and control Mm. when actually the reality is that yeah you get given a lot of responsibility quite early on and you get given a lot of support to carry out that responsibility and it's really all about relationships and teamwork and actually showing care towards the people you're leading. And of course, as you do that, you realize that you are enabling them to realize their potential and then to achieve good things as a team. Mm. And, I, and I think that that was something that I, I guess I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to learn from a pretty early age. And then I, I you know, not, not in a very knowing way, but I've tried, I suppose, to carry that forward into other things I've done. And I suppose, you know, thinking about that, that point about the army, I mean, I mean, your dad was a, a, an army officer. I mean, I guess in terms of finding your own path, your own route, that, that the army would, would feel like, well, you're keeping up in the kind of like the family tradition. I don't know whether that was it. You're shaking your head. But I mean, you know, you, you did take a series of chops and changes in terms of finding your way. Yeah, look, I mean, I, well, look, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a military family where we were traveling to diff- living in different places. And I was spending my time scrabbling around on army training areas as a, as a small child finding spent ammunition cases and things like that and as a young boy I guess I was sort of quite into that so I, from quite an early stage I felt I wanted to join the army 
But equally, I concluded quite early on that I didn't want to stay in it. I loved it. It was great. But I was also very clear that I wanted to leave and wanted to move on. So we, so again, we, were, we didn't miss out on General Mayfield then? I mean, the, the, no, no, no. <laughs> But I suppose it also taught you things about leadership. I read that you gave advice to managers that um, the art of leadership was admit you don't know everything, work on your business, not just in it, and innovate at speed. T- tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, is, is that is that the kind of Mayfield formula, if you will? Yeah, yeah. so look, I certainly think that, that there's sometimes, again, when it comes to leadership, people can confuse leadership with con- control you know, in the sense that I'm going to tell you what to do and I know precisely what you should do and all, all you need to do is do what I tell you to do. Now, that, that is, I guess, in some senses, a form of leadership, but it's not a very effective form of leadership. Much more effective, I think, is to set a direction. Much more effective is to, is to appreciate that you don't always know the answers and to listen to what's going on around you so that you can then modify that direction. And, and fundamentally, it's, it has to be about enabling other people to do great stuff. I mean, otherwise, you know, the, the limits of what you can do are defined by how many hours you have in the day, whereas you, know, you, you can reach out and encourage and support lots of other people to do great mm. stuff there's also the reflected glory of people doing well if you are helping them along the way i mean you know you, you've worked with a lot of people that have gone on to do amazing things in in their lives in terms of actually the the, the, the virtuous circle yeah i mean I, I i don't really sort of feel i don't i, I guess i don't really feel that it's a, it's about reflected glory at all it's it's just about there is i, I mean look i mean i like having an impact and i like to feel that i have made a difference but frankly, I'm delighted if if that difference is felt by other people and is, mm. is delivered by other people more than it is by me. I mean, I, I sense that you have been on a journey. I mean, I, I read that the advice you would have given to your younger self would be to focus more on others and, and less on you, on yourself. I mean, it does strike me that a lot of what you are is, I, I think, that, isn't that that saying in the army, situationally aware? That it feels that a lot of what you are about today is about looking at the world of others and how they do things and actually how you improve those processes. That's about that advice to the younger self. Inevitably, as you, as you set out in life, you, you don't know what you're able to do and you have, and everybody carries around with them a degree of insecurity about what they're capable of doing. And that insecurity can have a, at least a couple of different impacts on you. I mean, on the one hand, it can actually be, be suffocating and it can, it can turn you into introspection and sort of self-doubt and, and, and lack of impact. Alternatively, if you can embrace it and say, look, it's actually, I don't know everything that's going on here. I'm, I'm recognising myself that I'm not feeling totally confident about something. You can use that to step into situations mm. in an open way. And I guess some of the biggest mistakes I've made in life, I would say, are probably when I've been too concerned about not knowing the answer. And equally, some of the best things that have happened, not because of me or by me, but, but certainly where I perhaps played a role, is where I've sort of tried to set a direction and stepped into a situation and encouraged others to, mm. who've then gone on to do amazing stuff, probably way beyond their, what they imagined was possible when they started. Do you personally enjoy being in situations where you don't have the answers immediately, where you are facing things that are very new, very different, very stretching? Is that, is that part of what, what motivates you? I mean, yes and no. Look, I mean, it's not, it's not great to be at sea without a plan or a way of navigating your way to the land. But actually, I really like the challenge of a difficult problem and having mm. to work through it and figure out which bits of it you know, uh, or which, which directions might be fruitful and then taking steps and actions to explore some of those, finding out whether they work or not, and then changing course and then making other changes as you go. I love that process of, of investigation and iteration. 
And most of the biggest and most difficult issues in the world have been, you know, get solved through that, not through some have got the answer. Mm. It's, it's much, much more gradual and iterative than that. But, but I wonder, I mean, just looking at your career, I mean, there must have been moments leaving the army, going into FMCG, going on into management consulting, going on into one of the great aristocrats of British retail, working in government. There must have been moments where you arrived at those points where you felt, this is not my comfort zone. I've not been doing this for 25 years and therefore it's the next iterative step. I mean, these were these were serious leaps by any by anybody's measure. I mean, is that part of that? I mean, is that part of the, the curiosity, the wanting to learn, the wanting to do different things? Yeah, I mean, I think I think as a, again, my younger self, I would say, you know, don't always be in such a hurry. You know, so I was I was probably guilty of, of being ambitious and wanting to move on quite a lot. But also, I, I, you know, I've never done a job where I didn't get to the end of it and think and think to myself, you know, gosh, if I was doing it again, I would do it so much better than I did it mm. last time. It's, it's funny, um, I, I really associate that. I remember somebody once, a, a very good friend of mine who I worked with, and she told me very early on, she said, you never take any time to enjoy the view. And I thought it's such a, a good way of putting it, which is like, you know, you're, you, you obviously the experience is so important in terms of what you pick up. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely is. But, but then I think there's something also healthy about that, that self-critique, which is that that's where from that comes learning. And then, of course, over time, as that accumulates, you obviously try and apply it to situations as you get more experience. You've just got, you've just got a bigger reservoir of experience to draw upon, which mm. which can sometimes be helpful in terms of sort of giving you a hint or a sense for you know what's happening here. Is there any pattern recognition that you can draw on? Equally, it can work the other way. I mean, it can mean that you can become stuck in your ways. And I think it's really important to be, to be curious and to be open. You know, even just this morning, I was talking with um, somebody here about you know maybe this view I was espousing is because I'm I've got a particular inclination in one direction. You know what? Maybe that's wrong. Mm. And therefore, what I really don't want to do is, is sort of overly advocate for that. Um, and actually, I'm sort of almost inviting somebody to convince me of the alternative. And I think that, having that curiosity and looking, trying to look at things in different ways is, is incredibly important. And, and I think, you know, there's something about that as being very much the mantra of modern leadership, that the fluidity of situations means that today's idea, which is very right, can appear very wrong in, in very quick order. And, and I suppose that kind of flexibility of mindset and imagination is an important part of the culture that you pick up when you're working with scale-ups. Definitely. And, and I think you recognise that, I mean, I, I've been, in some ways, I've been fortunate to do some jobs for quite a long time. So, I mean, for example, at JLP, John Lewis, I was, you know, I was, I was the chairman for, for, for what, 12, over 12 years. Hmm. And in that time, when I ref- oh, indeed, in, in, in the company for longer than that. And when I look back on it, phases where, you know, there was clearly a need to move online. There was clearly an opportunity to grow the whole business significantly because we were subscale. But then, you know, all those things have a timescale to them. They, 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 have a, they work well for a period of time, but then, of course, they gradually work less well as time goes on. And you then have to recognise the point where that you've reached that stage and there's, there's time mm. for something different. Do you, do you have a comfort zone? In terms of, because, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, you know, certain leaders are great you know, in the kind of, you know, the scale up phase where it's almost like the kind of the wartime leader of, you know, we've got to go for it, that others are better in terms of managing a, an incumbent position in terms of defending ground. Where Where's your sweet spot, would you say, as a leader in terms of the sorts of organisation that you really thrive in? I mean, look, growth is good fun. And on the whole, is more is, it can be more rewarding than, than reducing costs and things that which are more reductive. 
But actually, in terms of sort of the importance of leadership and the challenge that comes with it, often it's in the difficult times where the greatest impact can be had. Uh, it's not generally what one gets voted for or gets recognition for. But in a leadership context, actually, it's it's often the thing which is most important. So I wouldn't necessarily say I've got a, I've got a yeah, look, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, it's enjoyable working in, in a higher growth situation. But actually, intellectually and from a leadership standpoint, I think some of the most interesting experiences I've had have been when things have gone wrong and have been mm. difficult. And it requires you to sort of step in to, in a different way, knowledge that something's gone wrong publicly sometimes and, and to help other people to get over it. One thing that I think transcends all of it, though, is the importance of communication and engaging people. Because whatever you, wherever you're going, whether you're trying to grow a business or you're trying to reduce the cost in a business or you're trying to reshape it, you know, you've got to, to, to talk to the people and communicate with the people who are involved in the delivery of that. And if you can't bring them with you, you might get there, but it'll be much more painful and almost certainly less effective. So under any circumstances, you've got to be able to do that. Yeah, and I suppose, I suppose that communication challenges changes as the company evolves the thing i while you were speaking i was thinking about was that somebody i interviewed not too long ago was, was tom blomfield the monzo founder and the thing that i got a really strong sense of was somebody who was tired in their role was that they were running you know a business that was going through a process of exponential growth you know probably requiring enormous amounts of adrenaline and personal resolve and i just wonder when in your kind of be the business hat when you talk about you know being the home for the most ambitious firms to what degree does the work you do focus on stamina and focus on actually being there for the long term and and not just that kind of like short term moonshot growth period oh no absolutely and and more than more than just the sort of the phases in a businesses i think a lot of our focus is actually on the, on the evolution of people as leaders yeah, you know, one of the things I think you mentioned it earlier is that is that one of the things we found repeatedly with with you know high growth, successful, small and mid-sized businesses, or in fact, pretty much all businesses, is the leaders often end up working in the business and they don't have they don't create the space to work on it and to sort of rise up to that level. And one of the most important things that we do is is give them the support, the encouragement, and the space actually to step up to a level where they can start seeing things from a different perspective. Mm. Because what tends to happen is when people are successful at something, they tend to assume that the, the, the future, future success is secured by just doing more and more and more and more of what they've done. And, and sometimes because that is very absorbing and often very time consuming and it takes a lot out of them, they actually stop looking at the context and the wider situation and see how that's changed. It's from stepping back and seeing how that's changed that you then start to change your business. And COVID has been a classic case in point. I mean, it, I mean, it has the, uh, I'm not sure one could ever say it's an advantage, but it has certainly has the effect mm. of, of being a massive shock, which says to everybody, look, your whole situation's changed. So you've better look at that wider situation and decide what to do with it. And, and what we found with some of the, you know, a lot of businesses, this has been a, a really cathartic period of time, as well as a very challenging one, where they've realized they've got to change their processes. They've got to develop new products. They've got to have, go to market in a completely different way. Mm. And, and, you know, and I think that's a, that's a really important part of leadership. I, I had, one, had one guest who described this as the brutal gifts of, of COVID, that actually it has brought certain certain things in terms of focus. But of course, you've mentioned, you know, the word change quite a bit, which is obviously good for a show called Change Makers. But I mean, obviously, I, I just want to take you back now to your kind of never knowingly undersold days in terms of chairing John Lewis, where I, I guess this 
was also coinciding with a period of enormous change in the way that we shop and the way that that, that the high street evolved. In terms of what it taught you about the nature of change, what, what did you take out of the 12 years experience you had there? Oh, gosh, a, a lot. I mean, it changes constant and it comes in many different forms. So when I, if I, you know, this is too glib, but if I think back on that time, yeah, there was a period where we had to go online. There was a period where we really did need to, to grow the, both, both sides of the business, Waitrose and John Lewis, significantly. But then there was a period where, as a consequence, partly of the first two, we had our costs had grown too large and we needed to reduce costs. So we, we significantly did that. And then there was a phase where we then said, well, actually, you know what? We now need to cease the investment in new space, new physical space, because this, this, the tectonic plates are shifting such that we need to, that, that's not going to give us decent returns. And then finally, you know, as towards the end of my time there, was the need to reform and reinvigorate the governance process and, of course, find the right successor. Mm. Did the partnership model make any difference to you? Because I'm just thinking about what, what you and Andy Street have gone on to do. Andy Andy in public service, you've gone on to work, you know, with, with scale-ups and working on public service. I'm just wondering, you know, again, is that just trying to sort of like draw draw conclusions when there might not be any? Or, or does working in a partnership give you a slightly different view of the world? Well, look, it, it, it certainly... Yeah, it definitely gives you a different view of the world. I mean, I think you have, for a start, the people who own the business work in it. And so you're, the whole notion of accountability extends well beyond that of a normal public company where your accountability is to the shareholders who essentially have a financial interest in the business. You know, the shareholders, the John Lewis partnership, the people who have it, they clearly have a financial interest, but they have a life interest in it in the sense it's where they work and it's it's where they get on in life, where they, you know, they form a lot of their, uh, their social uh, contacts, etc., all get formed there. Making change in that organisation is is not always easy, and it requires a, a big investment of time to explain why. It also is very important to engage partners, people in the changes themselves, rather than imposing them on them. And you know that 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 is, I think, does give it a different complexion. I, personally, I think it's a good complexion, and it's one that I enjoyed. It wasn't always easy, but it was one that I enjoyed. And mm-hmm. going back to what I was saying before about the importance of communication and engagement. And also having a leadership style, which is about supporting and enabling other people to do great stuff. Those things are all very important. Do you think, I mean, because I I always think about, if you think about historic businesses where you might sort of use the word purpose and associate it with it, I think John Lewis would be one of them. There are many others that I I would say are part part of the historic story of British business. But today, of course, when you look at the rise of B corporations, you look at businesses where the model has got contribution or kindness at the heart of it. I mean, does that resonate with you as as a value set that you see as being more across the business scene today, more in tune with, with where founders are going as we approach, you know, the big challenges of the world like climate, fairness, equity, all of these sorts of, I guess, big ticket items. What's your sense of where this kind of this debate now sits? Well, so I, 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 I do believe in very strongly in the importance of, of mission and the role of business in society. And businesses make a huge contribution very positively to society, but also business practices can make a, have a negative impact on, on, mm. on society and on people. But across all of it, when you think about it, the way I tend to sort of get to this is that at a very fundamental level, you know, the social purpose of business is to be a vector for social mobility. I mean, it is where people get in and on in life. It's where they discover 
it's where they they find out what their potential is and, and hopefully realize it in some cases some cases sadly they don't and yeah you know, we, we don't we don't all start out in life as is in, in the position in which we end it you get there through a whole series of twists turns steps you know up and down through the course of your life and, and a lot of that is is in the workplace and so i think that you know the whole the, the almost the glue that connects all of these things about b corps you know partnerships different forms of ownership people who are interested in, in the role of business in society it, it really ultimately boils down to that mm. essential principle which is why i think we're, we're back to this idea about how you realize potential and really business is the vehicle for that and you know you, you interview business leaders where you, you get a sense that it, it's a kind of fame fortune or well-being type thing or happiness thing where some of them want to be recognized some of them are clearly in it because they want to make make a lot of money and some of them want to actually use business as a vehicle to do things if you look at you know a story like ella's kitchen paul lindley and uh, now mark cudigan would would be examples of people where they feel very strongly that business is the most effective way to create change and given that you've had life on both sides of the public and private um, fence in terms of that ability to create positive change do, do you get a sense of where it's where it's best done these days look business is not it's not entirely virtuous capitalism is not it is not entirely blemish free and virtuous but i do think that but again, it comes back to the human condition. Human beings are competitive animals. And so you know, motivation and drive comes from that sense of competition, that, that sense of, you know, there are, and unfortunately in competition, there have to be winners and there have to be losers. And so, so there, is, there is something innately important about competition, which I think is, which is what drives business. But it, and it drives some very positive outcomes, but equally it can drive some, some, some less good outcomes. In terms of when it comes to sort of who drives change better, I mean, it's difficult to generalise on that. Well, one thing I think is that, that is, that is, is I, I really regret is there's a sort of sense that a lot of societal problems are seen as for the government to resolve. Yeah, and I think, you know, to some degree, we're often guilty of sort of looking to the government to resolve all of the most difficult issues in society. And, and frankly, politicians are sometimes to blame for that because they purport to be the people who can resolve those problems. Very often, they're more complex than any of those individuals are able to resolve. Mm. And yet, so much can be done if you could find the right combination of politicians and business people. Mm. Uh, but that requires politicians to have a certain perspective to sort of engage in a way which, they, which is not common. And it also requires businesses to step up and to say, we're going to take responsibility for trying to resolve this, this big issue and we want to try and do it in partnership with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I read once that uh, this wonderful phrase saying that, that being human is a team sport. I, I just wonder in terms of, you know, we're, we're obviously speaking at, at um, what we hope is the back end of, of, the, of the COVID lockdown, where sort of phrases like reset, renew, regroup, they're all re's, by the way. I mean, anyway, but that, that aside, in terms of actually going forward, you have done a lot of work on skills, on young people, on where I guess you you sort of like fill the gaps in terms of making, you know, getting things going and, 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 and living up to potential and releasing ambition. When you look at this next phase from your vantage point, working with scale-ups, trying to realise the potential of of people given that this is a very unsettled world right now and a lot of people listening 
would not agree that with the phrase that business is the force for good or, or, or those sorts of things. How mammoth a task is this now as we move into this? I mean, I, I, I want to get a sense of the next adventure for you. I mean, is this, is this the sort of, is this the staging post now to something that you think there's a new vista here? There's something new to look at because of what we've just collectively lived through? Or is this, how do we get back to business as usual as quickly as possible? I'm not really a sort of business as usual type sort of person. So I, I, I mean, I, I, I sort of, uh, I always think that situations are changing. And so fundamentally, if you try and say there's business as usual, it, it sort of suggests that that bit you don't need to bother to change. Whereas I think you probably need to be moving forward all the time in order to stay successful. My feeling is that, that there are some really big and intractable issues that we face. Um, and of course, at this moment, post-COVID, everybody is talking about renewal, as you said, all the re's come out, because there's a sense that that's an imperative and a requirement to, to, to get that. And some of those problems are really difficult to resolve. But the, the, the thing about that is, is you, the way to, to resolve them is therefore to start. Yeah, it's not to sort of necessarily not start until you've got the perfect answer. You've got to get in and plunge in. And to some degree would be the business. That's exactly what we've done. Productivity is a massive challenge. How do you get this to happen is really tough. But the best thing to, to find out how to do it is to get started. And to some degree, that's what we've done, obviously, with a bit of a plan. And productivity is where we must leave it. Thank you so much to my guest today, Sir Charlie Mayfield. And do join us for the next episode of Changemakers. Changemakers.